welcome to the pre-roll for Electric Liberty Land 187. And I need to tell you about a great read called The Liberty Theorist. And it's at medium.com forward slash at Liberty Theorist. And this is basically a blog started by a buddy of ours and a supporter of the show. And what he does, he likes to talk about uh, all the shady things that government has been up to, why libertarianism is the only viable way currently to keep that much power out of the hands of government, which is, of course, what we're always about, right? This man is a uh, Rothbardian libertarian who believes we're highly in need of prison reform, that victimless crimes should be abolished, and that we need to end the welfare-slash-warfare-and-spy state, and that true market, free market capitalism is the way to go while socialism kills human production. So basically, the government should stay the hell out of your life. It's a good read. I suggest you go check it out. He's got some articles up now on JFK and the CFR, the fight for a Pax Americana. Uh, he's got from he's got shattered windows, the fallacy of rioting being good for the economy or everybody. You know, obviously tying into the broken windows theory. And I haven't read this one, but <laughs> it's a post called "I Held Kennedy's Brain." <laughs> so go to medium.com at the Liberty. Theorist. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, so I am here today with Joe Collins III, and Joe is running for the 43rd Congressional District here in California, which I don't know if you know this, Joe, but that is my district. I live in beautiful Hawthorne, California. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I know. So I have, I have a vested interest yeah. in having you on the show today. <laughs> I'll make sure I make the show really good this time. Like <laughs> better be. I have one yeah. man with one vote. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to have you on the show today. And I want to hear about your background and, and, and you know, Kai, and what inspired you to run. But it's yeah. kind of funny because I reached out to you specifically. I, I heard you on uh, Adam Carolla's show, uh, which yeah. I thought you did you know, great on that. And he's got a huge platform. I wish I was that big. We're not. But, um, but no, we've got, we've got a good listener base of libertarians, as you would presume. And I heard you on his show, and I was fascinated by, you know, you're running for <laughs> GOP, but you also said you dabbled in the green movement. And that's where I had... I had reached out to you. I think where this came to, to you reaching out to the podcast was from me reaching out and saying, I can't believe you went green before you went <laughs> to the Libertarian Party and now yeah. you're running GOP. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a long story behind that. I didn't, I didn't dabble in a green party. I kind of got like kicked into it. I was a presidential <laughs> candidate and, you know, like I was in the military for 13 and a half years and uh, in the military, you can't get involved in, in politics. So I was a presidential candidate and then when I got out the military, um, they get, I got a, uh, I got a general under honorable condition separation through administrative separation because they gave me an option to stay in the military and stop politics or, um, you know, pursue politics and get out the military. And they, 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 they helped me out significantly, um, accomplishing my goals because I was pretty, I was great in the military. And so, uh, it was only right. And, uh, so my, my campaign team, they were like, you're never going to get support as a Republican. Mind you, I was a Republican presidential candidate before this whole Green Party crap even started. <laughs> and I was like, they were like, no, you, you're you not going to get support. You're, you're a black Republican from the inner cities. They're not going to like you. You're not the type of person um, that the Republican Party would support. And you got to choose a different party. And I was like, well, I think it's being fake if I choose a party. But they had already went ahead and changed the party platform 
on the congressional, I mean, not the congressional, on the, um, the, the presidential campaign to, to Green Party. Hmm. And um, so it was like three weeks and I was like, well, let me let me try it out. If they're going to support and let me let me see, you know, but I'm really not feeling it. And I, I went to one meeting and the people were cool. You know, the, they, the they gave you all the granola out of their pockets, uh, all the <laughs> vegan beef jerky. <laughs> they didn't give me, they didn't give me nothing. They didn't have any, <laughs> they didn't have any, uh, anything to give. We met at a restaurant. I had to buy my own food and everything. <laughs> oh, wow. But the, the, the thing that got me was I'm like, okay, so you're not pro military, 13 and a half year veterans. Mm-hmm. You're not, uh, you, you, you for socialized health insurance. I like my private care because I was in the military and, um, yeah, I was just like, this, this isn't going to work. I, I'm pro-military and I want private health care. And I just don't think that this relationship is going to be conducive. And then, you know, me, I don't want to, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want people mm-hmm. telling me what my platform is because I know what I believe in and I know what's great for my community because I've been, you know, heavily invested in the community for a very long time. Um, even before I got out the military, I still would come back and forth from, you know, South Central Los Angeles to San Diego or wherever it was that I was stationed at. So I wasn't a Green Party candidate. Well, I guess I was, but not as people like try to make it try to make it seem. Mm-hmm. I've been a registered voter Republicans since 2004 when I joined the military and then specifically because of history of the Republican Party which I'm glad is because of history of the Republican Party because I got a lot of Republicans that talk a lot of trash to me about um, you know, they, they nitpick at everything. Oh, we didn't like the way you do this. Or, 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 or Republicans don't go out and protest or, or this or that. And I'm like, where is this playbook at? Because I'm feeling like I'm missing something, you know, but nobody's produced a playbook that, that has won any seat in California for yeah. president or any other, any other, uh, any other seat. And so I kind of, well, that brings I do me, what I do. yeah, that brings me to what, you know, why, why are you running? So you said you're, you know, 13 years in the military and you were Navy, correct? Yeah. Yeah, Navy. Navy. Yeah, Navy guy. So, and and because that's what's it's interesting talking about you know, the military background, and uh, and I'll get into these when we get into specific issues later. But you know, obviously, as a libertarian platform, we're not uh, anti-military per se. And you know, I think I mentioned this when I was tweeting at you uh, or Instagramming you is that the military, mm-hmm. active military members, had supported Ron Paul, who got me into the liberty movement uh, predominantly. Yeah. I mean, they overwhelmingly. So we'll get back to that later, but. But so, yeah, tell me a little bit why you were inspired to run. Um, you know, was it just the the hatred of Maxine Waters that a lot of us have, you know, or is it just the, the disservice that you feel that has been done to the community over time? Well, uh, one thing that I, that I noticed whenever uh, President Trump was running, well, then candidate Trump was running for office, was that the, the younger the younger people were not being heard in any facet of politics. I mean, we kind of just got blown off. And in the military, you're not even able to have an opinion. But I was very, um, very vocal about things that I like and things that I didn't like, you know. And, uh, you know, I feel like I could have I could have beat him if I would have had to support the <laughs> for president. But he got he, he did his thing. I thought it was pretty cool. But another thing is I, I saw the media, you know, the media was twisting everything that he was saying and trying to make him, you know, look bad. And I had to legitimately go back and I watched everything that he did from front to back. And now. I don't even make a decision uh, until I look at both sides of the story, see full interviews and I study it and I listen to everything that's being said Mm -hmm. before I make a determination on any decision that I do. So um, seeing that young people were being pushed out of politics and then, you know, me being from South, South L.A., uh, I knew I had to learn politics. So I became a presidential candidate. I learned a lot, which is why our campaign right now has been so successful. 
Um, we had our rocky start, whichever, like every young politician does, uh, coming into the congressional race. But, you know, me and Maxine Water has history as well. Um, now, this is what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is give, the story. I don't give like me the good dirt. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so I, I'm not a, I'm not the type of guy that wants sympathy. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, when I got out of the military, I was trying to get my benefits. I, I have a broken back in two different places. Right. And so the, the VA system was so broken. This was before President Trump passed the Veterans Choice Act. It's a, it was right around that time. It was right around the time. And so I was trying to get the VA process sped up so I can get my disability. I can get into into college and I can get all the benefits that I needed uh, coming out of the military to help me get back acclimated into civilian life. Uh, and, and the sidebar, a lot of people don't understand this. There are tons of uh, tons of homeless people that are veterans. And the reason why is because for one, they don't know the benefits that they have. And two, they don't know how to get access to the benefits that they have. And so they feel left out. And you gotta think, you know, people, it, it take eight weeks to uh, 18 weeks to get you fully acclimated into military life. You have one week to get you back into civilian life. Mm. Now, people who spent more than four years, we don't know anything other than military because this our whole adult life. My whole adult life from the time I was 18 years old to 32 has been absolute military, so it's it's impossible. Right, yeah, you're regimented, and and you're and by the time when you're 18, I mean, you're you're still basically still developing as a person too to go right exactly. into that environment. I mean, it's almost like going different, obviously, but you know, it, it's almost like coming out of prison where you literally do not know how the real world operates necessarily, exactly. and you have to yeah, completely react to it. I get exactly where you're coming from. And so these are the struggles that we go through, on, you know, on a regular basis. And when we look to leaders like our so-called leaders, like Maxine Waters or any other. Uh, representative to help us out, they are non-existent the same way they're non-existent in black communities. Mm. Right. Um, so in this process, I was homeless. I was sleeping at the pier. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the Rancho's Palos Verdes. You know where the lighthouse is near Trump golf course? Yeah, so I know exactly I what you're talking there. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's where I was sleeping at because, you know, coming out of the military, I can't tell anybody, you know, I tried, but it didn't work out. Too well. Can't yeah. tell anybody, yo, I don't have anywhere to go. I need somewhere to sleep until my benefits come through. Because people are like, oh, well, you served all this time in the military. You missed the big shot, yada, yada, yada. They don't understand how broken this system is. Mm. And so I'm like, you know what, fine. I'm not going to ask anybody else for help. Uh, so I slept at the pier. I used to go to Maxine Waters' office on a regular basis to try and get her to help. I filled out internships. I filled out job applications. I did everything. I, did. I even took her flowers to the last couple of hundred dollars that I had. Oh, wow. Get some type of help. And she greeted me with absolute silence. You know, and so I'm like, you know, this is never going to happen. So whenever uh, that Veterans Choice Act passed and I was able to take my benefits and go to outside doctors because the VA system is, is swamped. I mean, they're, they're mm -hmm. overburdened. They don't have enough people working there. I took my benefits to an outside doctor and um, I was able to, to, to speed up my VA process. I got my claims process. I got, you know, my back, um, you know, taken care of. I got the help that I needed. And I'm like, you know, what? we're running for Congress. Well, the administration reached out to me and told me that you're running for something else other than president of the United States. That's how that <laughs> happened. But uh, they got a funny way of doing it. They're like, yeah, man, you know, you're doing a very good job. We're proud of you. You know, you're starting to raise some money. Choose a different route. I'm like, right? <laughs> yeah, choose a different path because you're not going to be running for president. So you can, you can run a super PAC, a political action committee, um, or you can uh, join administration. We have a position we can put you in. You'll be great. Mm -hmm. Or you can, you can run for office. And my thing was I got out the military to run for office because I want to 
support my community, rebuild my community, do what I can to help make America well, better. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, about that because, you know, again, you're running for, for Maxine Waters district and it breaks down, you know, it's uh, I think it's like 50% Hispanic, 30% uh, black, yeah, 12 yeah. or 15% white and 12% Asian. And it's, you know, it's getting, and it's pretty diverse, but certain, yeah. you know, certain uh, cities are going to be far more centric on one ethnicity or the other one. So, you yeah. know, why do you think that Maxine Waters is so entrenched there? And what did you see? I mean, like you're saying, you want to rebuild a community. You want to, you know, you know there's different, definite changes you want to see made. So where do you yeah. think that she's let them down? Well, number one, how the heck does she keep, you know, and I'm trying not to curse on this in case you want to share it on yours. I'm going out of my way because I love to curse, but uh, on yeah. this, I'm not going to. How the heck does she keep getting reelected? Is it, is it ignorance of, of the candidates? Is it ignorance of the issues? Is it apathy? Is it just she's been there so long? It's just why not bring her back again? And what do you want to change? You know, what do you think are the thing, are the issues that need to be addressed within the community um, in our, you know, in our district that she's neglected all these years? Well, Maxine Waters has been voted in office uh, every single time because, uh, for one, there's a lot of people who are just simply afraid to run against her. Mm. And then... Um, the second reason was the people who are not afraid to run against her has they, they're not quality candidates. They have no plan. See, I have a five point plan to get our community back on track. And these are some of the things that we've been working on since we've been into this race, because um, I want to run as if I was already in the seat. I think it makes it a lot easier to talk about what you are doing, vice what you want to do. Everybody mm -hmm. can talk about what they want to do. But uh, it just is purely based off name recognition. But now you have somebody who is very boisterous, not only boisterous about what's been going on in the community that, you know, that person is from, but also boisterous about the plans that he has for the community, the things that he is doing for the community and the way that he goes about campaigning. And I'm telling you, a lot of people are absolutely excited about um, our campaign. They're excited about our plans. Mm -hmm. uh, they're excited about the motions and action that we have been implementing and uh, that's why we've been so successful. Tell me a little bit more about your, your plan. You know, like what are the things that you think are you know, like top three? What, what has to be addressed now? What's, what's been hurting the community the most and what needs yeah. to be addressed first? So my, my thing is, I mean, like when I develop my plan, you know, thinking about it, um, it it's mine's is five. And the reason why it's five is because I can't name three in an underserved community uh, mm -hmm. that will significantly improve uh, the, the district. I mean, for my plan, you can't have one without the other. Right. Yeah, they're, all, they're intertied in so many ways, too, depending, exactly, especially when you get exactly. like justice reform, drug reform, mm -hmm. yeah, that kind of thing. Yep. But this is even before you get the justice reform. I mean, for me, it's getting back to the basis. I mean, you look at South L.A., you look at the 43rd District, the majority of the district has been underrepresented, underserved for a very long time. Um, so for my plan is, you know, we have to rebuild the district. We need economic development within our district. Um, that's something that's been lacking for a very long time. Along with that, uh, we need to rebuild the relationship between our law enforcement and our community. That's very important, especially now. Mm -hmm. We need to improve our education system. I mean, we cannot do anything with the, we're, we're ranked dead last, yep. almost dead last in the United States when it comes to education. And financial literacy, we need financial literacy in our communities. And then the, the last one, that's the most important one, is jobs. We need quality mm -hmm. jobs back in our community. Now, you can't rebuild the community without the jobs because you got to have the jobs in a community so people can live. Mm -hmm. And you can't have uh, quality jobs without education because in order to work these jobs, you're going to need education. And not just college. I mean, like STEM, STEM jobs, science, technology, mathematics, engineering, these type of jobs, like regular trade jobs. We need those back into our school systems. You can't do any of these things without uh, the police department. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So these things are kind of like intertwined. So I can't say we need jobs, uh, we need education, and we need housing without saying that, well, we're going to need the protection from the police department and we're going to need economic development so we can get modern housing. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll give you a counterpoint here because this is why, for, so for me, a lot, of, a lot of issues start and end with the drug war, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. And it's because they impact everything you're talking about. Um, you know, we're talking about jobs and I see this on your website. You know, you do talk about the first step act, which uh, we're a huge fan of, um, and how, you know, a lot of people coming out, they're in jail for minor drug offenses, nonviolent crimes. They've been stuck in there, you know, and especially a lot of it comes from the the crime bill that, you know, Biden was a big part of. So they put them in jail. Then they're over policing communities. You're getting people that now, even if they do their time and get out quickly, they have a felony record, so they can't get a good job. And then on top of everything else, you have, uh, you know, you have an ongoing incentive almost to, you know, to continue to break these families up because if you have nowhere else to go and you talk about this on your platform too, which is great. It's, you know, it's that recidivism of, well, what am I going to do? You're going to go back into, you know, po- possibly crime, possibly drugs again, and you go back to prison because you have no options. So that's exactly. where, you know, starting with the drug war for me, it seems to be a first step to solving a lot of those problems. It allows police to do something else. Really, they can go community policing rather than focusing on breaking up and arresting people for nonsense. And then also like tax incentives. Of, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Good. I was saying, yeah, the, the cultural training is important mm-hmm. because, you know, the police, you know, they target people based off what they've learned in, in, uh, in their training about the inner cities when the majority of that stuff is false. So right. getting them culture to our community is, is definitely, you know, great when it comes to community policing. Yeah, no, exactly. I was, t- I had a buddy of mine on, well, actually one of our, our fellow Lions of Liberty here at the show. And we were talking about that, a little bit of a catch 22 of if you're a police officer, you have in your head, you know, as they say that, and this is you know just statistically, they say more black, uh, young black men commit more crimes, right? But then you have, okay, okay, maybe they do, maybe they don't. They're being over-policed. You have officers that are going into a scenario now that are in the back of their mind thinking, well, this guy is more likely to have committed a crime. This guy is more likely to have an illegal firearm. So to your point, the outcomes of that scenario are basically set up to fail nine out of 10 times before anything even happens, you know, because both sides are kind of enticed and and, uh, predisposed to say you are the enemy in this situation. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. But the the training, you know, the the training, but the recidivism program, like you mentioned earlier, recidivism has to be key along with the first step Act. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and that goes along with the jobs. We have to get these people employed. The, the more people we get employed, the more people we can get off the street, you know, uh, destroying our communities. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, let me ask you this. So yeah, I know Rand Paul has championed this idea. And um, and it's another thing that I think is a good idea is that, you know, giving people in, in, instead of saying, here's a blanket payout or, you know, like a, a universal basic income or a, or a stipend as so many people on the left want to do is trying to give certain economic sectors you know, let's say the poor neighborhoods, right? The really you know, underserved, as you said, giving them more opportunity economically by cutting taxes for that region and giving them, you know, get rid of the red tape for that area, call it a, you know, a, a tax, uh, low tax zone or an economic benefit zone. What are your thoughts on doing something like that for communities, especially with people of color that, you know, they, the small businesses can use that opportunity and provide jobs, provide, you know, really kind of a Kickstarter to get those economies rolling again? Well, I think that it's a great idea. And I think that's something that uh, that was the intention of the opportunity zones. um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And so, but it's also an issue that we have to fight on the state level as well, because I mean, like, look at California, even though federal taxes are low, the state taxes are, are uh, completely out of control. And that's yep. thanks to the conglomerate of Democrats that we have who think they know best, even though they've proven to be utter failures. Um, but that's something that we'll have to fight on the federal level. I mean, on, on a state level, uh, which is why, you know, another reason why I'm running for Congress, how come we don't have, you know, Congresswoman Waters, uh, you know, suing the state of California, getting them back in line with the federal constitution, or at least showing us a little bit of where our tax money is going. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay billions and billions of dollars in, in taxes. We're supposed to have a surplus, but you know, coronavirus hits and all of a sudden all the businesses are closed. Yep. Uh, everybody forgot about the homeless population. Uh, people can't pay their rent. And uh, and then Gavin Newsom takes our tax money and give it to illegal immigration. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe that either. He's like, here's a hundred million dollars to pay for your illegal immigrants health care. Meanwhile, to your point, right. there's people sleeping on the streets. There's veterans right, out right. that can't get their care. It's absurd. And then they say, that, oh, we got hotels for people. If you're on the street, we got hotels from you. Well, right across from City Hall, you have an entire homeless encampment. I say, hey, man, you guys didn't know they got hotels for you? Yeah. I'm like, no, we never heard of it. I'm like, how are you right across the street from City Hall? where the mayor just said we have hotels to these people and they don't come out and tell you, you know, of course. Well, it seems like a lot of democratic policies is they talk about it and then they don't put anything into action. It's just simply talking to it for the broader base that doesn't need those services. (laughs) That never seems to trickle down to them. Um, So let's talk a little bit about a couple other things I wanted to bring up to you. Um, So in regards to uh, the drug war, where do you stand on that? I mean, obviously I'm a libertarian. I think that everything should be legalized. I doubt you share that exact same opinion as me, but where do you fall on that? Should we legalize marijuana? Should we start to decriminalize certain substances so that it becomes less of a criminal issue and try to go into more of, um, you know, programs to treat and help or something like something along those lines? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, marijuana should be legalized. The, the effects of marijuana are more helpful than harmful if uh, taken the right way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I am pro legalization of marijuana. And that also comes with releasing people from prison who are in there subsequently from, you know, marijuana charges. Uh, I think that when it comes to legalization of, you know, different drugs, here's how I feel about that. Because you have drugs out there that's just as dangerous as alcohol Mm -hmm. and alcohol is regulated. If we legalize drugs, then I think that we should regulate drugs and you should be able to get drugs from the federal government so we can regulate who are taking the drugs and we can also, you know, create programs that can wean people from drugs or programs where we monitor people who, you know, take drugs, a certain amount of drugs for, for safety reasons. So, I mean, for me, it's like a give and take. I don't want to legalize drugs. And, you know, we all know once the government legalized and it's not popular anymore. Right. We, we well, it definitely takes away a lot of that. Yeah, it takes away a lot of that bad boy. I'm going to do these yeah. things to get back at mom and dad <laughs> concept. But, but like the repercussions, the, the significant uh, repercussions from the, the start of the legalization is what I would be worried about. Mm. You know what I'm saying? People overdose and people, more crimes going up, more people losing their jobs because of this, more people living on the streets, more people uh, mentally exhausted because of the, the legalization of you know, the, the full legalization of these drugs. So, I mean, like, I don't mind legalizing it if we, there is some way that we can monitor and track how much people get, you know, what's their functionality when they have in drugs. Um, are, are we putting these people into treatment? Like, if we have things to, uh, you know, support the same type of drugs that yeah. we're talking about. Well, I think that would have to go hand in hand. And obviously for me, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to track, you know, track usage specifically. I, you know, for me, I, I'm against all the, the oversight and the tracking in general, but I think that 
like you said, if you if you do it in a step process, if you allow people to um, to get the help that they need, even when you may mm. see a little bit of a surge in you know in usage at first, I think a lot of people are going to say, "I tried it, I don't like it," or they're not going to. You know, it's like anything. You're not going to go out tomorrow and just become a heroin addict necessarily. And a lot of people that are already on the streets or already are addicts probably would become uh, less attracted to it or be able to get off of it because they have the help. So it's to your point, it's a give and take. But I think it's something where the the benefits to society. And you look at like places like Portugal who've done it; their heroin overdose has dropped like something like eighty percent. So yeah. you know when you have that, where it's it's you know you can monitor the quality, and maybe that's what you mean as far as oversight. From government standards, if you have a quality standard in the market, it you know it's a lot safer. Yeah, I, I I think so, but I think the the biggest issue that we have in America is that we are consumers and, and we have a tendency to overindulge in in pleasures. Um, so the 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 mental aspect of that would be uh, devastating to the the fabric of the culture of the United States. You know, once people get addicted, it becomes a, it becomes a mentality. And I don't think that's something that we can control because if that was the case, then a lot of people who are addicted to these drugs living on the streets, it would be easier to get them off. And it's not, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I I had said the oversight for the usage, Mm -hmm. not a bad, not a bad idea. A lot of people might like them. A lot of people don't, if you don't want to be oversight, oversighted for the amount of uses, don't use it. If you want to try to go for it, see if it works out for your lifestyle. But the, the, Ability to become addicted is, is my biggest concern. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like anything. And hey, we'll agree. I'll, I'll take your answer as halfway to what I want. So it's still still progress in the right direction for me. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, so then the next thing I want to talk about. So as a military man, what do you think about where America is going right now? You know, are we overextended? And actually, it's funny because, you know, you're in the Navy. One of the things mm-hmm. that always drove me nuts was the Navy's phrase, a global force for good. Because that was, yeah. it always just pissed me off because I'm saying, we're not supposed to be a global force. We're not supposed to be everywhere all the time, you know, and, and people like yourself, you know, didn't sign up for that. They signed up to protect their country and then we're shipping people off all over the world. So that's my take on it. Um, what was, you know, what is your feeling on it? Uh, are we overextended? Should we bring troops home like Trump's trying to do more? You know, what do you think? What's your feelings from the inside and, and people that you've served with? Get the Pinot ready, because it's turd time. Life isn't all reality TV, but it should be. Everyone calls me Odie, like the dog on Garfield. The only difference is, I actually talk, and I'm not quite as stupid. Welcome to Bravo and Beer. What you just heard there was the intro, the fabulous intro, to a new podcast from myself, John Odermatt, Odie, and the mysterious Rico called Bravo and Beer. And basically, where this came from was that we got sucked into watching these horrible reality TV shows by our wives or spouses, or maybe we Odie got talked into it by the two of us playing beer pong. But long story short, we figured there's nothing out there for guys like us who are watching these shows and maybe have come to enjoy them a little bit as you get invested in the stories of these psychopaths. But where's the where's the take from just three regular drunk guys? You know, we've got the ladies' take. We've got the uh, the fabulous Fantastics take on it. Where's just something for guys that have been suckered into this and now have no escape? So we are your outlet for drunken, hilarious commentary. Check it out. It's available anywhere podcasts are heard. Okay, now back to my interview with Joe Collins.
I think that uh, when it comes to truce being 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 extended to foreign countries for uh, extreme amounts of time, I think that's not healthy, not only for the truce, but for their families as well, especially if you're married, you have children and everything. And uh, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of keeping, uh, you know, our troops in theater for, you know, eight, nine, 10 months at a time, years at a time. Or, or 20 years like in Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they, they, they're rotated. It's a rotation, but the yeah. rotation time is even long. Three or four months rotated, three or four months rotated that way at least. The members can spend time with their families and whatnot if we're going to be in theater. Mm-hmm. But on a on another note, a lot of wars that we've been in, in my opinion, have been absolutely pointless. You know, they say that the war is for this when we know the war is for something else. I was never a fan of that. I was mm-hmm. never a fan of that. Uh, when it comes to our military being a, a global force for good, our Navy being a global force for good, you know, unfortunately, as a leader, um, not only in the United States, but a leader across the world, when you have that much influence, this is the position that you take. I mean, we have to understand that there are a lot of countries that cannot protect themselves, which is why they pay the United States. It sounds bad. They pay the United States for <laughs> partnerships for protection. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so, it, does, it doesn't yeah. sound great, though. Like if you're I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, again, you're 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 out there. You sign up for the Navy. Right. And then you're like, OK, so I signed up to protect my country and now I'm a mercenary for uh, Sweden. You know, whoever's paying me, you know, if I was I would I would be a little bit resentful of that, especially if I saw somebody that I cared about get killed fighting for somebody that has no interest, uh, is no real threat to the United States, but we've made an allied uh, partnership with over dollars, you know, and, and that's where, you know, it sounds more like a liberal talking point, but, you know, I just come at it from a dollars and cents and, and basic humanistic perspective of, you know, like I said, I'm not anti-military in any way, as far as the, I believe a need for a military is definitely uh, something yeah. that has to be paramount. But I think about those people that go over for causes they don't believe in and get killed and then they have to go when their families suffer because of it. I mean, I I understand. But at the end of the day, when you when you join the military, you know exactly what you signed up for. I joined the military during wartime and I I knew what I was getting myself into. I've done my tour overseas in in Iraq. I understand the big picture uh, of the mission. I understand that we have allies that we have to protect that can't protect themselves. And, um, you know, from a leadership standpoint, as I'm becoming to uh, you know, allow our allies to be attacked by someone else when they can't protect themselves. It's like having your little brother get beat up every day by, you know, some kids at school and you not doing anything to protect them. You're going to protect your little brother. Now, these other countries, there are little brothers, there are little sisters. And so, I mean, uh, I mean, the, the mission sounds it sounds terrible in some aspect. But at the end of the day, I mean, we are the biggest influence in, in the world and we have to protect our interests. All right. I, again, I, it's one I, I figured we wouldn't see eye to eye on, but yeah. it's good to have the again, it's good to have the dialogue about it. Um, what do you think about what's going on right now? Well, I, actually, I know your answer. That I know you're a fan of charter schools. So do you, do you just want to give a quick see you know, what your take on education is? Because um, I know Adam Kroll had asked you about this. I'm a big Thomas Sowell fan. He just I actually just got sh- sent his new book from the publisher um, about charter schools. So what's your take on education real quick? And then I want to move on to COVID. <laughs> I am. A, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of school choice. I think charter schools are great because they give public schools competition and give them a run for their money, uh, especially when you talk about public schools that are in inner cities. I mean, these are the, the worst schools possible. And so school choice is definitely beneficial in order to get public schools back on track with um, with, with, with better schools that are in better cities. So if you give the parents the ability to put their children uh, in schools that the parents feel to benefit their children, I think we will have a, a greater um, a greater city, greater states, but you know we don't have that right now. And there are people who want to keep you know children in poor schools. We have the school unions who have a lot of influence in our schools. Yeah, and and so school choice is great. Uh, charter schools are great. Schools are great. Period. But I, overall, with education, 
we need to overhaul our education system, period. I think that we're, we're still teaching the same education for when Maxine Waters was in high school. Mm-hmm. And Maxine Waters is a prime example of, of piss poor education because this woman <laughs> is not smart, you know? And, and so- I couldn't agree she, more. <laughs> she, right? And so she's representing us when she has a, the education from back then. I wish they teaching our children. I don't want my children to grow up like Maxine Waters. I don't want them to be like her at all. No, def- def- definitely def- not. Definitely not. But yeah, no, exactly right, man. To your point, you know, it's having that ability to go out and, you know, why would you not want more choice? And that's what I yeah. understand. The argument against it just literally makes no sense under any scrutiny. And it's clearly just union talking points. They want to keep the power because any parent, if you say, we well, want more choice or less choice, more choice. <laughs> why yeah, more why not? I'll give you one second. I'm going to pause this. All right. So, I mean, obviously we can't escape COVID. I think that's going to be something where you're going to get a lot of a lot of questions about it. Presuming the mainstream media will give you <laughs> the opportunity anyway. Actually, quick tangent. How have your media opportunities been? Are you being ignored? Um, are you actually getting some interview requests from major news outlets in the area? Yeah. Uh, in the area... Um, you know, I, ABC has been very good. KBC has been good. And uh, CBS has been very good to me. Um, uh, Fox News has been, you know, wonderful. I did Fox and Friends. I did Barney a couple of times. Oh, great. Newsmax. I love Newsmax. I love One American News. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're awesome. So, I mean, it's, it's going good. I, I think the biggest thing, we started getting a lot of media attention when they found out that, that, were, that we were, uh, I put my office in South Central, in the heart of South Central Los Angeles, heavily Democratic district, guys, a Republican right. district. Right? <laughs> uh, I'm from here, so it makes sense. Uh, and, um, you know, we're polling at 69% in our, in our community right now. We have wow. over 22,000 people participate in our online surveys, and uh, we raised $3.1 million. And that's another eye-opener. So wow. people are like, well, how are you doing this? Are you really doing that great? you know, with the polls. And it's like, yes, we're doing really good. Then the fundraising numbers come out. Well, he got to be doing good. He yeah. raised a lot of money. Hey, $5 it, it of that is from me, by the way. Five, <laughs> I did it $5 when I got your mailer. I said, good, $5 for Joe. I'll give you more after this. I, I'm inspired. Like, I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that a lot. $5 goes a lot of, a long way. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what we're doing with your $5 too, yeah, because I'm yeah, pretty please. sure everybody's going to know. We're giving back to the community. We partner with a uh, love mission to create Joe Collins love mission. And now uh, we get free food. We have awesome food, awesome fruits, vegetables, and meats, and we give it away to the community every Saturday. We started three weeks ago, and now we're doing it uh, in three locations right now. We'll be a Hawthorne in two different locations this That's upcoming great. week on Friday, um, and then we're going to be pushing it through uh, almost every community in our in our district, the, the love meeting, giving away food to our community. Um, I'm not a fan of COVID-19. I think it's dumb. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be so where you, it's going to be a, a campaign issue, though, and, and I'll, you know, I'll tell you as far as I'll give you my opinion on it and then you can, you can, you know, go from there. But for me, it's, it's an illness. I think it's definitely something where if you're at risk, you could get, uh, you know, obviously can get sick and die from it. I do think yeah, the reaction has been drastically overblown. And I also think that it's been difficult to get a grasp on what is truth versus, I don't know, qua, you know, quasi science and media coverage that seems to be intentional uh, in so far as, just kind of making people panic. So that's my, yeah. that's my take. So I'm curious to hear what your, what your opinion is. I mean, I, I agree. I absolutely agree with everything that you just said right there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even if, I mean, we don't have a cure nowhere in sight. So, yeah. you know, eventually we're going to have to let our immune systems, you know, uh, control this virus. We're going to have to let our immune systems, you know, get in contact with this virus so we can build those immunities. Um, and for the people who are, who are high risk, I mean, 
you know, it, it's whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. So I think something that we have to understand is everybody's going to die someday. It's just a matter that you go out in. And unfortunately for people who are at high risk, I mean, you have a higher chance of passing away from uh, the virus and, than everybody else. But I think it goes back down to uh, are we taking care of ourselves how uh, as we should? Are we eating healthy? Are we continuing to exercise? Are we taking care of our, our mental state? Because all these plays a part in our overall health of our bodies. And if we are not mentally healthy, if we're not physically healthy, then, you know, you are going to be high risk for, for COVID-19. But at the same time, we do have an immune system that has been put to work in a very long time because we're constantly getting injected with drugs and, and antiviruses and antibodies and all these things to, you know, be able to combat common colds, common pains that we should have so we can build our immunities to. Well, what's been fascinating is that, and to your point, and I agree completely, is that the homeless population, everybody was saying, why haven't the homeless had this massive die off from COVID? And it's actually because their immune systems have been so, I mean, being on the street, you're literally, your music is beat up and tested. And a lot of people that are homeless have not had a big reaction to it because they're battle tested, you know? Yeah, I think I think the homeless in Los Angeles is uh, is a lot stronger than the majority of the people in the United States because you remember typhoid had a typhoid breakout in Los Angeles downtown and uh, you know still have a lot of homeless people around so they're yeah. ready for it <laughs> exactly they're they're just they're you can't beat them they're like the uh, not, it's like in that movie Three Hundred you know they're like this is Sparta and no matter what <laughs> disease comes at them <laughs> right. um, so a couple more questions for you then I'll let you go um, so okay. do, so clearly you're confident that you can win. And, and honestly, it sounds awesome from the, I was going to ask you what the feeling of the interactions on the ground when talking to people that would be your constituents, what has it been? You know, what are people on the ground saying to you? And then as a follow-up to that, I want to know if you do not win after this conversation, would you consider switching and considering becoming a member of the libertarian <laughs> party? <laughs> Um, so the, the, what the people on the ground are telling me is that they love me. They love what we've been doing for the community. We've been very active, um, since we've been here, you know, running for, running for office. And, uh, people also been telling me they hate Maxine Waters. They're sick of it. She hasn't done anything for the community in a very long time. And, uh, they're ready for something new, but they want to vote for someone who they can identify with. So they're happy that I'm running in this race. And, uh, you, you know, it's been a blessing. And if I and if I lose this race, uh, I, I don't foresee myself being a member of the Libertarian Party. I'm sorry. No, why, uh, come on. Why, why not? We have we have so much in common here, though. I think Americans in general have a lot of things in common. And I, I think a political party preference is, is a, a person's personal business. It has no uh, emphasis on your life or, or any uh, public policy uh, of the sort, unless you're a Democrat, then every single public policy that you make destroys life. <laughs> yeah. No, but... I think at the end of the day, we as Americans, we can agree on, on certain things, you know, we can disagree on certain things as well. But I mean, regardless of the political party preference, I mean, God gave you the ability to make your choice and that's a choice that you made. But at the end of the day, when it comes to working with people, one thing that we have to do is learn how to work together so we can rebuild our community, so we can, you know, make our country great. And so we can continue to support people and work on our differences in a, in a diplomatic manner. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, I could say, I mean, I, I, I hope that people from this interview, because we have a lot of listeners uh, in California, which is why I thought mm -hmm. it'd be good to have you on. 
uh, and a lot of people in Los Angeles too, you know, uh, so hopefully that will help, uh, help sway, give a little campaign boost to you as far as money and, and voter support. But you know, like you said, it's, it's interesting to talk to people and find out where you do interact because so often all you're hearing is people being divisive, coming at each other, attacking each other and finding what they hate more than what they actually agree on. And I do think there's a lot more that can be done as far as, you know, coalitions and finding out what can we work together on? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you a secret. Uh, I have a very diverse campaign mm-hmm. and uh, my campaign staff, and I'm not talking about black, white, Latinos. We already know I have a lot of black people, white people, Latinos and Asians on my team. But I also have Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians and Independents on my team. Give too. me their names. I'll cast <laughs> them out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we keeping them. We keeping them because one thing that people understand about me is I don't care what party you're from. Let's work together because our community has been underserved. Maxine yep. Waters has destroyed this community, but we all have a vested interest in seeing the, the people in our district survive, thrive, and live a, their you know best version of the American dream. And that's what it's all about. Um, we even had our office grand opening and everybody from the community, we probably had like three or 4,000 people, you know, show up, you know, in, awesome. a, in three or four hours that we had in our campaign grand opening. It was just, it, it was a blessing. It was a really good day. People mm-hmm. came, we didn't have any fighting. We had people in our Trump gear. We didn't have anybody with Biden gear because I'm not having that, <laughs> but we had people in our Trump gear here. We had people who didn't like the president Trump, yeah. uh, you know, here as well, but we didn't have any fighting any arguing. Everybody was here to see the person who they're going to help, uh, you know, rebuild their community. Yeah. Well, let me ask you then, you know, you mentioned Trump and Biden. What's your prediction for the, uh, the presidential outcome? Who do you think is going to take it away? But you know what? Um, <laughs> President Trump is going to win. I, I got a lot of bad things to say about Joe Biden, but you know, well, uh, don't, don't yeah. censor yourself here. I got plenty <laughs> to talk about Joe Biden. I can't stand Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden's a bona fide racist and he's been a racist for yep. a long time, just like the whole history of the Democratic Party has been racist for a very long time. And I don't even understand why people can continue to assume that because you're black that you need to be a Democrat. I, I'm not I'm not with it. And Nancy Pelosi said something that was so profound. Right. And I don't give Nancy Pelosi a lot of credit, but she's getting credit for this. Nancy Pelosi said that we need to get rid of our country from every single uh, thing that has to do with racism. And I love that statement. Let's get rid of everything mm-hmm. in our country that had to do with racism, including the Democratic Party. Let's get rid of them all together. It should be no Democratic Party. <laughs> like, the, the top two parties should be the Libertarian Party and the Republican Party. Damn you know? well right it should. And then, and then, you know, Representative Gomer out of Texas, he outlined the entire racist history of the Republic of the Democratic Party and how the Democratic Party was created to institute racism in the United States. And at the end of his speech, he says, so while we're getting rid of things, racism, I think that we need to ban the Democratic Party as well from the United States. Right. I think he called for a complete renaming of the Democratic Party based on that. Right. They have to give up that entire name. Yeah, absolutely. Get rid of them. completely. Last question. Most important question of this entire interview. Okay. You might have seen that the uh, they've released documents about UFOs and finding objects (laughs) in space. Joe Collins. 43rd <laughs> California, future congressman. Are UFOs real? You were in the military. What do you know? Do you think they're real? Is it going to hit us before the election? What's going on? <laughs> I, I don't know why you put me on the spot like this. Yeah, you know, this, certain is, things- this is what makes it this <laughs> makes good interviews, man. This is going to bring people around. <laughs> Nothing else. This is what's going to get you their vote. Okay. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be 100% honest. All right. When I say this, there are certain things that I cannot talk about. But there are certain things that I've seen that 
would, you know, justify the releasing of the documents when oh, it comes wow. to, you know, UFOs being real or not, you know, and uh, I'm going to tell you, they've been around for a very long time. Oh, man. Oh, juicy. <laughs> this is juicy. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Joe, thank you so much. Please tell people everywhere they can support you, uh, where they can donate to you, uh, you know, all that good stuff. Follow you on social media. Yeah, my website is JoeCollinsForCongress.com. Uh, we have a very, very, very good website. It, we have all our information on there. If you want to donate, please donate. We're giving it back to the community. So, you know, if you donate money, guess what? You're going to get it back if you come to my food drives. And um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Collins for Congress 43. And you can find me on Twitter at Joe Collins 43rd. There you go. And I will post all of those links on the show notes page for Lions of Liberty, which is lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL187. Okay. So Joe, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Good luck. And uh, I hope to talk to you again after you've been elected and uh, oh, yeah. give you a hearty congratulations. You got my email address. Hit me up anytime. I shall, sir. All right. Thanks very much. Talk soon. Hey, thank you. Well, guys, I tried. I, I really tried to, uh, to win him over during that, but you never know. Things change. People change. I had fun talking to Joe. I think he would be a good dude to sit down with. And uh, as I said, you know, as he gets uh, hopefully into office, as things evolve and he sees the realities of some of the situations and, and tries to adjust this, we might find that we, again, have more in common than we do differences. And uh, I appreciate him coming on the show because, as you guys know, it's not everybody that says, hey, you know what? I should go on a libertarian podcast. I should get out there because, you know, when we're, especially when we're talking about democratic opposition, I'm sure anything and everything they can use against him will be used against him. So just being on a libertarian podcast will probably be used against him. But at the same time, we have to hope that maybe that libertarian uh, leaning, you know, some of the policies that we were talking about where we do overlap can win over some of those people that might be on the fence. Some of those more moderate Democrats that are, that are actually waking up to the policies that are in place and how they've damaged communities that they are intending to help. All right. By the way, because this was a uh, current events free episode and I already collected all my news stories, I decided I am going to do a very special Electric Liberty Land episode within the next couple of days that will go solely to the Lions of Liberty Pride. Now, of course, if you're not already a member of the Pride, you are missing out on Degenerate Gamblers, Conspiracy Corners, special AMA episodes. You're missing out on the brand new Do Nothing Man episodes. You're missing out on all of the video content we do and also the very special Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor secret drinking game show, which is going to be taking place, I believe, we're trying to target it for uh, the 8th, but we have to see if Mark can get off work. But anyway, I'm going to do a special ELL just for our Pride members. So go ahead, join up for as little as $5 a month and help us out, help us spread liberty and grow the show, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. All right, that's going to do it, guys. So from me, Brian McWilliams, from the other Lions of Liberty, Mark Claren, John Odermatt, and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.